Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good. Good morning, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. It is Forgiveness Month here um, at Faith Radio, and we've got a lot of resources posted at MyFaithRadio.com, um, all kinds of encouraging, equipping resources on the forgiveness front. And so if you need to experience forgiveness, there are pathways to um, help you engage with the the one who is the source of all forgiveness, and that is God himself. If you are in need of extending forgiveness to someone else, there are resources related to that. So I encourage you to check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. Early Thursday morning, uh, you know, uh, which I realize is a whole day ago now, but my chances are you missed this if you, you know, were busy doing other things. Um, But Ukraine has actually now engaged in what appears to be the core of its long-awaited counteroffensive against Russia. And so we want to be lifting up um, all that is going on there, recognizing that we have brothers and sisters in Christ on both sides of that conflict. Maybe I should say on all sides of that conflict. And so we certainly want to be praying for uh, peace and the preservation of human life and dignity and um, and that God would bring resolution um, and that it would be just and honorable. The Wall Street Journal reported yesterday that Cuba— um, which, let me just remind you, it's just not far. It's just not very far to Cuba. Okay. So the Wall Street Journal reported on Thursday that Cuba has agreed to allow China to build an electronic spying facility on the island of Cuba in order to conduct signals intelligence on U.S. communications. Um, so, I mean, right now, the United States is contesting the what is the, what is being reported in the Wall Street Journal but let me just uh say that um uh yeah this is probably an ongoing story and one one we're going to want to watch um in other global news related to what the US is engaged in overseas you will recognize that the United States has an agency for international development it's called USAID it is the um the vehicle through which the United States delivers food and other humanitarian assistance to hurting people throughout the world. And we have talked on many occasions about what's going on in Ethiopia and the Tigray region, the desperate need of the people there. And so this is a really troubling um, announcement from USAID, um, which says it is halting food aid to Ethiopia because of widespread and coordinated um, campaign of diverting the food assistance. So we have been sending food aid to the people in the Tigray region, but it has been intercepted and redirected um, or diverted by those in the Ethiopian military. And it is um, very challenging. And so we want to lift up the people who have not been receiving the aid that they thought they were getting, 
Um, and obviously the situation grows ever more desperate. There is no Western journalism on the ground. And so it's really hard to know what exactly is happening. You have heard um, other media reports, and we covered it at the end of yesterday's broadcast. But if, if you missed it, um, Pat Robertson died uh, at the age of 93. Um, you will recognize him as the host of the 700 Club, the Christian Broadcasting Network, Regent University, um, and, and, a, and a person who really was the pioneer in terms of courting Iowan evangelicals. Like when you ta- when you hear today that, you know, everybody goes to Iowa to court evangelicals. Well, Pat Robertson's actually the first person who really did that as a part of his run for the um, presidential nomination in 1988. And so you're going to hear a lot of people say a lot of things about Pat Robertson. You're going to hear very selective audio cold. Um, and, and I just want you to consider this. If, if, the secular media was responsible for what is said about you after your death. As a Christian, is that going to be good or bad press? <laughs> and just think about that as you are listening to the choices that media outlets are making in relationship to how they represent Pat Robertson and the audio they choose to run. Um, let's be praying for his family and the ongoing ministries that he established. Um, next up, Adam Holtz is going to join us from Focus on the Families Plugged In. We're going to talk about a number of media headlines. And, yep, we're going to read you in on uh, on what's hitting the big and the small screen and, you know, whether or not it's worth your time. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Adam Holtz is joining us from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Good morning. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I, I am well. It's my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Mm-hmm. Go, Carmen. I didn't, I didn't want to get all the birthday. way to the end of the conversation, and you feel like you were not in on that. I'm not in on that. Hey, <laughs> speaking of conversation, before we even get to the things on our docket, can I, can I share a personal anecdote about Pat Robertson? Please. So I turned 18 in August of 1988, growing up in Iowa. And that was an incredible time to be growing up in Iowa. I mean, I'm pretty sure I have never uttered that sentence before in my life, by the way, Um, because everybody who was participating in the political process came to Iowa. And we were really encouraged um, as students at that point to participate, to go listen to them, to go hear people uh, I was a delegate for my county convention that year, and I think I was a delegate. Honestly, I don't remember 100% uh, for Pat Robertson, but I remember when he came to my hometown of Perry in 1988 and spoke, and it was he was amazing. Um, and I remember hearing lots of people. So Jesse Jackson came to our little high school and spoke. I heard Jerry Brown speak. Um, a couple of years before that, I heard Ronald Reagan speak. Um, and so I, 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 what I want to say is I think it's an incredible thing to be involved in the political process at the grassroots level. And as an 18-year-old, that was really burned into me. I'm probably a lot more cynical now than I was when I was 18. And I think that the intersection of our faith and politics is necessarily a messy and complicated one. There's so much Mm -hmm. that can be said, but I think there's tremendous value, regardless of where you're at politically, of being engaged, of understanding that 
um, you know, that, that politics really does start at that local level and asking the question, what does it look like for me as a citizen to be informed, to be engaged, to be asking, where is Jesus at in the midst of this, even though, you know, we can see corruption on both sides of things and the corruption can make us cynical. But I don't think that Christ has called us to be cynical, even though that's so easily my default position. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. I remember I remember Pat Robertson just absolutely wowing me when I was 18 years old back in 1988. That is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah, when you, you say bet. the word, yeah, when you say the word cynical, um, I just immediately think about, um, so we play bananagrams in our family and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, um, am looking at other people's words that they're writing sometimes. Right. And I'm pretty fast at bananagrams and I see I this word in, in somebody else's like on their board, you know, S I N I C A L. I'm like, S-I-N-I-C-A-L. That is not a word. Oh, wow. But when you read it, what does it say? Yeah. Cynical. Cynical. (laughs) That's interesting. I love that. Oh, there you go. Just a little word thought for the day. Okay. I love Um, word thoughts. Transformers, Rise of the Beast. Um, I am... I, I live in a uh, in a household where there might be some Transformers on somebody's uh-huh. um, shelf. So is this a movie he's going to want to see? Uh, it might be. And I would say you could do worse. You could probably do better as well. The Transformers <laughs> franchise, of course, is about robots in disguise who are more than meets the eye. Some of us who, again, grew up in the 80s. That was the first iteration of this. When the movie started coming out about uh, 15 or 20 years ago, they were very sexualized. Megan Fox played a very sexualized role. So in addition to violence and profanity, there was this sexual undercurrent that really I thought like tarnished what had been a really great childhood memory for so many of us. That I don't know whether they were thinking everybody who grew up with these things now wants an adult version. I don't know what they were thinking. But uh, back in 2018, the last Transformers movie, Bumblebee, kind of was a it wasn't a reboot but it was a reset of the franchise and the overall origin story of the franchise and there's still violence basically you have robots good robots bad robots that transform tearing into each other and i mean they rip out they could start an entire parts franchise for automobiles with the amount of of carnage we see mechanically speaking and that could be pretty intense there's still some profanity i am glad to report that that movie and then this one um rise uh what's it called i totally totally lost my train of thought rise of the The, beast Um, oh rise of the beast yeah it it um they really have avoided that sensual component so Mm. uh it's a big really bombastic movie there's still enough content here to easily earn a pg-13 rating but at the very least, we can say the glass is half full, that they've avoided that other stuff. Or you could still say the glass is half empty because the violence and profanity may be more than you want your kid to engage with. So there you go. Transformers Rise of the Beast. Pretty good story, too, by the way. This was engaging story, some nice redemptive elements about heroism and sacrifice. All right. When we come back, Adam Holtz is going to read us in on um, idolatry. <laughs> there might be an ongoing problem with idolatry. Um, there might Could also be. be an ongoing problem with Id- idolatry. Idolatry? Yeah, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. All right, Adam, I am at PluggedIn.com. I have clicked on the blog, and your colleague Paul Acey has a piece, Another Problem with HBO's Idolatry. But that's the the show idol in scare quotes. Yes. So Idolatry, excuse me, The Idol is a new show on HBO and Max. Uh, it stars Lily Rose Depp. It's been created by Sam Levinson, who did Euphoria, which is a show mm. that could mm. um, fairly be labeled as softcore pornography. And if that's the case, this one is even more so. Mm. Uh, we have not seen the show. We have not reviewed the show. Um, we we review a lot of stuff that has explicit content, but we also do our homework and know that there are some things that are so far beyond the pale that if you spend 10 seconds researching it, you'll know what to expect. And this is a story mm-hmm. of a young woman who is a singer. She's sort of depicted as a, a Britney Spears-esque ingenue who gets swept into the sway of a diabolical producer uh, who has sort of a sex cult thing going on the side. So, you know, if sex cult doesn't stop you, you know, I don't know what to say. But uh, reportedly, haven't seen the show she spends probably as much time in the show with her clothes off as she does on and and other things transpire as well. So, you know, at the most basic level, that feels pretty self-evident that uh, maybe it is something that we should avoid. Um, But I love what Paul has to say about this. Um, He says, the show honestly points to something deeper. It illustrates something about storytelling sin and ourselves and again he's reporting on the reporting we haven't watched it temptations are all around us they lure us into the soul's dark alleys pull us into the shadows a lot of those sins are sexual ones this is one of our species deepest most primal drives as such it serves as one of the easiest and most powerful levers to pry us away from god and his design for us but while we may crave such things we have deeper we long for deeper meaning yet We long for something deeper, more tangible, more real. The desire for something more than sex. We desire meaning. Stories, well-told stories can give us a hint at that meaning and they can communicate something about ourselves and our world. So I will stop my public reading of Paul's blog. You can go (laughs) check it out. But I I love the way he unpacks the fact that we don't have to watch a show like this to be able to understand the core issues that are in play here and to have a theological dialogue about it. And, you know, it's always a judgment call. Do I have to watch something to participate in the conversation? Sometimes we may say, yeah, I really want to know what's going on. Other times you can read an article or two if you really have somebody who wants to talk about it and probably have enough ammunition to have, maybe ammunition is the wrong metaphor, enough fodder for 
a conversation that can be meaningful and redemptive. And, and I love what Paul has done in this piece. Um, all right. There are um, Dorito flavored pizzas. And now there are <laughs> apparently pizzas with Dorito crust, which is my segue into our conversation <laughs> about Flamin' Hot, which you yep. have a review of posted at PluggedIn.com. Um, you do. liked it and you like it for us. I liked it. Um, I, w- I liked it with a caveat. So Flamin' Hot is the origin story of where Frito-Lay's Flamin' Hot brand <laughs> came from. Flamin' Hot <laughs> Cheetos, Doritos, Fritos, popcorn, all sorts of things. And I think the interesting thing here is that sometimes we can go to the store and you might think that a product just magically appeared one day. That Frito-Lay's you know, scientists pushed a button in their lab and poof. There came Flamin' Hot. Well, that wasn't actually the case with this story. Uh, it was the brainchild of a janitor in Rancho, Rancho Cucamongo, California, at the Frito-Lay factory. He you know, pushed a mop, and he said, you know, these products don't appeal to his people. And that's the way the story frames it. Hispanic, he's of Mexican descent. Uh, and this is in the 1980s. And he said, what if we sprinkled some chili spice on them and the company was struggling as lots of companies were in the 80s and their uh their president um roger enrico sent out a video about vision and everybody having ideas and uh wouldn't you know it richard montanez picks up the phone and calls the president of the company and says i have an idea and Roger Enrico listens to him. And he's the guy who brought us the Pepsi challenge, if you remember that back in the 80s. And the rest, as they say, is history. But this is sort of a rags to riches story. It's kind of a, an underdog story, even though it's not a sports movie, about the power of an idea and believing in your idea and having courage and initiative. It says great things about marriage and family and courage <clears throat> and faith. Uh, it's produced by Devon Franklin, who is a Christian producer in Hollywood. I will say it's PG-13 because there's a fair bit of profanity here. They have not tried to sanitize this thing too much. So for some people, that will make it a non-starter. Others might say, okay, this feels like a realistic depiction of this story. So that is Flamin' Hot. You can find the full review at PluggedIn.com. Do you recommend eating some Flaming Hot uh, Cheeto or something while watching it like does that feel like a sensory part of the because i can't i just i when he's like i gotta have this on my cheeto i'm like i i can't put that in my i'm not no i uh, that's not my jam ironically we have a little snack thing in our department (laughs) and if we write a compliment (laughs) for somebody else in our department we get a free scooby (laughs) snack and i grabbed a pack the other day of cheetos and i popped one in my mouth and i'm like wait something is wrong <laughs> and i had grabbed i this is a true story the same week i saw this movie i accidentally grabbed a pack of flame and hot cheetos and i'll say it's not for me i'll also say i'm as white as the day is long and i grew up in <laughs> iowa so flame and hot cheetos really weren't meant for me i'm just gonna stick with the regular uh... ones but there are lots of folks out there that love them it's a billion dollar product it's crazy, it is, right? It's, it's crazy. So the, the, you know, if you the, like hot the, stuff, you'd probably like them. The Frito, all the twisted Frito flavors also. Twisted like, right? Fritos. There's some yes. fun stuff out there. And Pringles is apparently like there's yeah. a whole new like uh, flavor section in the in the Pringle area. I will say yeah. 
the honey barbecue, the honey barbecue twisted Frito. That that's a pretty good little thing. That's all well, I'll, I'll say about that. that. Mm-hmm. I will try mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. There you go. Honey, the honey barbecue <laughs> twisted Frito. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you don't have chili to dip an actual Frito in, that right. little honey barbecue twisted Frito that that's a that's a good flavor sensation. All right, Adam, we got to leave it right there. You got a ton of stuff that we could talk about, but we're gonna um, we're just gonna have to leave it right there. You guys go to pluggedin.com for so much more. Adam, um, have a great weekend. I will do it. You too, Carmen. Thank you. Absolutely. We got to take a break for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. Hey, are you right where you belong? What does that uh, what does that mean? What does it look like for you to fully occupy the space that God has given you and to consider the space you are now in as your God-given space. Like, what does it mean to consider where we are and then to begin to embrace that where we are, wherever that is, is right where we belong? Do you remember the conversation that we had with Dewey Williams a couple of weeks ago? Um, He's the guy who now actively does ministry on death row. And he shared with us uh, an early conversation uh, in that ministry when, you know, he was not where he wanted to be in ministry. And he was not where he thought, you know, <laughs> he ought to be in ministry. He was not experiencing the things that he thought he ought to be doing. And um, and a man on death row said, you know, I'm not where I want to be, um, but I am right where I belong. I am right where God can use me best. Um, I am right where God needs me to be. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm right where God needs me to be. And I thought about that as um, as I consider what Heather um, McFadden says in Right Where You Belong, how to identify and fully occupy your God-given space. And so I thought, you know what, let's talk with Heather about where we are and embracing where we are as right where we belong, right where God can use us best. And getting over feeling guilty that we're not doing more, but also recognizing um, the importance of who we are and what we are doing right where we are in this moment. So where are you today? And how can you see wherever you are as right where you belong? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, I'm really excited to introduce you to Heather McFadden. If you don't yet know her, she is a host of a very popular parenting podcast, Don't Mom Alone. She also has a book by the same title. She enjoys connecting other women to mentors and experts, about which I am definitely going to ask her because you know that's a passion point of mine as well. She and her husband uh, and their four boys live in Dallas, Texas. You can connect with um with Heather online at don'tmomalone.com. She's joining us today on her new book, Right Where You Belong. Heather, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen, for having me. This is fun. Yeah, so I'm just letting you know in advance um, <laughs> that I want to know about connecting women to mentors because I face that as yeah. a constant question in um in my local community, like young women desiring to have older, more mature female, you know, mentors, but uh, the church not doing a good job making those connections. 
Well, and I think it's also us doing the inner work with those moms who have gone before to see that just because they maybe made a few mistakes, that doesn't discount them from guiding the ones who come behind them. And you don't have to be 80 years old to be a mentor. If you're just one season ahead, you have wisdom to share and perspective. So I think it's doing that work with women too. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Um, All right. uh, Take us into um, uh, a little bit the maybe the the theory behind right where you belong. (laughs) Like what is the motivation for this particular conversation? Most things I do are pretty selfish, I have to admit, Carmen. And (laughs) this came from my own journey of always feeling like I'm missing out uh, Mm. and God kind of guiding me to the truth that if I'm in the middle of his will, I'm never missing out. And that was really comforting and it helped whenever I'd have that I'm missing out moment, I would rephrase it in my mind and say, nope, if I'm in the middle of God's will, I'm not missing out. But then the question became, well, what is God's will? (laughs) That's a really hard question to answer for centuries. And uh, I think I then landed on a tweet that was talking about humility. And in my mind, humility was, woe is me, you know, get smaller, Mm. let God be bigger. And this tweet said, the Hebrew original expanded definition that rabbis would have taught their students is, humility is to fully occupy your God-given space. And that to me felt like an answer to all the questions when I was a mom of four young kids and changing diapers all the time, or, you know, I've been invited to big stages too, like either place that in humility, I can fill those and I'm not missing out. I'm right in the middle of God's will and I'm trusting him outside that space and I'm trusting him to partner with me in the space. It's so um, freedom giving. It's so freeing to um, to live this way, to live the way that you are describing and helping us um, understand and, and live into. It's so freeing to just fully be who we are in Christ in a given moment, in a given place, whatever the circumstances. Um, and it does not, I mean, as you say, it does not matter if I'm in the last row and I'm, you know, and I'm there responsible for a gaggle of children or if I'm on stage and I'm the person presenting, I am still who I am as God's person in that space. Yeah. And it's all a heart posture. You can yeah. be in those physical places and still not be trusting God with the outcomes or with the day to day and not be in constant communication with him on how do we then be in those spaces? Not necessarily do. It's not all about activity in God's mind. It's how will you show up in this world partnering with me? The discernment question is a, is a huge one. And again, we're talking with um, Heather McFadden, uh, and we're talking about her new book, Right Where You Belong, How to Identify and Fully Occupy Your God-Given Space. Um, when, you, when you think about the, the tension between... I'm supposed to be everywhere all the time doing everything. That's <laughs> that feeds that FOMO thing you were talking about, that fear of missing out versus because I got a whole nother cast of characters telling me you should be sitting still and quiet and there should certainly be a lit candle and, um, you know, maybe some very quiet music, but nothing else. And there should be you should be at a time of refuge. And I'm like. Okay, I can't do both of those things. I cannot I, I cannot possibly do everything that the world demands and 
sit at the feet of Jesus all the time? Like, how do you how how do you live in that tension? Yeah, uh, to me, it's having what I call a God listening heart, which is what Solomon actually asked for when mm. God said, what do you what do you need to lead these people? And he said wisdom is what it's translated. But the Hebrew is a Shema Leb, which is a listening heart. And the listen coincides with obey. So it's this, how am I, even if my hands are busy or my eyes are looking at a computer, how is my mind connected with God and listening to where he's where he's leading me? And how am I listening always to his voice, whether it's through his word or in prayer. And and I think we overcomplicate sometimes and we get distracted. And the enemy's schemes usually are distraction, discouragement, division. And if we're finding those to disrupt our peace, we're like, okay, well, okay, I'm not going back to God. And I, I need to go to him to know what my next step is. Because for you in this moment, it might be pulling away, just like Jesus. He pulled away from the crowd so often, but he also pushed into the crowd with compassion. He was led to feed and to teach um, crowds of people. And so it's not a one <laughs> formula for everyone in every moment. It is literally trusting the God of the universe to know more than we do and to guide us. Um, Heather, you talk about four boundaries um, in the yeah. book, time, place, wiring, and experiences. Um, mm-hmm. I think time people, you know, might, we might be able to imagine uh, at least part of the conversation related to time and place, but what's wiring as a, as a boundary in terms of something that God gives us? Yeah, if we think about, you know, again, going back to the Israelites and the space God gave them, there's a chapter in Joshua where he outlines the boundary lines of that space and he tells which tribe to go where. And I think he does that for us in really practical ways that we often discount as not important. And wiring is that for us. I mean, I think the my kids' generation is better at knowing themselves and their different, you know, strengths or whatever personality we used to say, Myers-Briggs, whatever those kinds of personality tests are. But I think even as adults, we can forget, what did we love to do when we were kids? What do people come to us for that we discount as important or vital because it comes so easily to us? And I think considering those things because God made you uniquely for this time in this place and that wiring, maybe it got mislabeled by past experiences or parents or uh, you you were told you were bossy and you're actually a fantastic leader. It just is a gift that's gone awry. So considering those things when you're considering your space is really important. So I'm going to, um, again, uh, when you talk about, hey, we write things out of our out of our own need to hear them and, and selfishness in terms of that, I'll, I'm just going to ask what you might perceive as a selfish question. So in terms of the young moms in my life, some of them are um, like my own girls uh, who now have their own kids. And so you're sitting at, uh, you're sitting, you know, they're, they're under stress. You feel mm-hmm. it, you experience it. Sometimes they talk about it. Sometimes they don't. Um and and yet they are seeking to discern like real things in their own lives. And in one case, you know, a, a, a daughter who is tremendous, tremendously gifted worship leader has opportunities yeah. to do that, um, is in a church that affirms that. However, she also has a special needs child and there really are not uh, programs that are going to be developed in this particular congregation to meet the needs of this particular grandchild of mine. And there's a tension yeah. there, like, right? Do, yeah. do do I continue, this is not me speaking, but speaking on behalf yeah. of another, do, do I continue to use my God-given talents, gifts, and abilities because God has given them and God has given this opportunity to use them and lead others in worship, but God has also given this child. 
Like, right. That's a real tension. Like these are the kinds of discernment that moms are trying to make today. Yeah. And I interviewed actually for the series that went out with this book, a mom who was in a similar place uh, as a songwriter and performer. And she said they can feel like opposing things Mm. and tensions. Mm. And she actually found that the boundaries of them created a new space for her and a unique Mm. space for her. And so I would just encourage that daughter to seek God and to ask him, God, what space are you looking for me? Because in my mind, immediately I thought, oh my goodness, who's the worship leader for the kids with special needs? Because that's Mm. a whole thing. And who can provide a space where kids could come and worship freely and not be judged if their behavior doesn't match all the other kids? And whose hearts are so on fire for God in a way that we as a community miss out, as a culture miss out on. It's so good. That's so good. Heather McFadden, M-A-C-F-A-D-Y-E-N, heathermcfadden.com. We're going to continue our conversation with Heather in just a moment. The book we're talking about today, Right Where You Belong, um, but Don't Mom Alone is um, is is another place that you can connect with her um, and her earlier book and her ongoing podcast. So all kinds of um, opportunities there as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. When Jesus teaches us to pray that God would forgive us as we forgive others, what does he mean? What does our forgiveness look like? And how ready are we to forgive? Or how fast are we to forgive? How many times do we forgive the same person for the same offense against us? Living out the life of forgiveness can only be done if we stand as forgiven people before the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. As far as the East is from the West, so far has God removed your transgressions from you. That's grace. That's great. And God intends that we would extend to others a measure of what we have received. So how has God forgiven you? How often? How many times for the same offense? Then who are you to hold someone else's sin against them when God in Christ doesn't hold our sins against us? Unforgiven and unforgiveness are literally no way to live. So join the forgiveness flow today. Ask God to forgive you and forgive others as you have been forgiven by grace. Praying together at MyFaithRadio.com. What is the space that God has created, called, and sent, gifted you to occupy? Um, Are you doing that willingly and joyfully and then filling that space? um, Even though you might be anxious uh, or feel like it's less than or more than um, you're right for? We're having a right-sized life conversation um, with Heather McFadden. The book is Right Where You Belong, How to Identify and Fully Occupy Your God-Given Space. Um, One of the things that you talk about, Heather, is that, you know, like Jesus never asked us to do something he wasn't willing to do first. Can you talk about how Jesus like rightly occupies the space that God gives him? Yeah, this really struck me when I was considering the first space Jesus was assigned on this earth was a baby's body. And I thought, what a vulnerable, risky space to dwell in and fully dependent on the people around him to care for him. And then I thought of him being assigned to a cross. And 
the moment I was in Israel, um, which was a gift, uh, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I was considering the emotions he was feeling at the time of just asking God to take this cup from him. And he knew how the story would end. He is God. He is omniscient. He knows. He knew that he would rise again. And yet he didn't want to have to walk through the pain of the cross and endure all of that. And I think it it made me realize Jesus knew how to hold the tension of pain and hope and grief and joy. And, um, and I just connected with him in that moment. And to me, it was such an encouragement for all these spaces that whether they're palaces, which I don't think Jesus um, occupied a palace in his time, but, you know, Esther is assigned to that role or whether it's a prison like Paul, that it's less about where we are and who we are with. And that's God. Mm, so good. I think any time that I'm, uh, I'm with someone uh, who feels like they are being asked to occupy a space that is beneath them or mm. um, that, you know, where they could be doing so much more, you know, or be in such a bigger, bigger spotlight. Like I, I may not say it out loud, but this is what I'm going to draw to mind. Like <laughs> Jesus actually condescended not only to our reality, but to the lowest level of it. And yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, or the or yeah. the smallest, I mean, like, the, yeah, the the smallest, most dependent, yeah, seemingly meaningless. I mean, like, right, it, obscure. I, and even at 12 years old, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think about that story in terms of Jesus's willingness to submit to his earthly parents and to his position in culture as a young person um, and and continue to grow up and be obedient. In, in an environment where he was obviously already ready to be the teacher. And so, I, you know, that, that whole humbling ourselves in the spirit of the Christ who humbled himself um, and condescended to our reality in so many ways, just such good. That, that was really a powerful, um, sticky observation for me in, in Right Where You Belong. So thank you for that. Um, what encouragement would you give today to the mom who's listening? She's got uh, two little boys under four. She's got a third mm-hmm. one on the way. Um, she has a part-time ministry position that she can now do from home. But obviously, the life she's now living is very, very different than the one she had even, let's say, five years ago. Um, and so how, the, how that perception of the self is influenced by the um, repetitive, difficult tasks of being a mom and the desire to you know, have our gifts used in ways that um, we feel like are kingdom advancing. Like, can, can you just talk to her right now? Yeah, I think two things encouraged me when I was in that season. Uh, one, people will tell you, you know, oh, the years, they're, the days are long, the years are short, but that doesn't help you. So what did help me was a friend who said, there's a difference between calling and assignment. Because sometimes mm. as moms, we can feel really burdened by, is this my greatest calling? Like all those things I was doing before motherhood don't matter. And what am I going to do once my kids leave? Like, this is it. And that feels like a lot of pressure. She said, no, your calling as a believer is to go and make disciples. And your assignments are where you do that over the course of your lifetime. And so this season of little boys and growing boys in your womb 
is a season of making those disciples, and those will be your most intimate disciples. They're the ones who you will most influence knowing the love and care of God, and they may surpass you and their kingdom building work, and that is humbling in itself. But to see that as valuable for this moment, instead of thinking, man, this is it. This is the only reason I'm here. And then I think the other that was helpful for me with little kids was thinking of Hannah with Samuel and thinking of Moses's mom and how it they, we learned that they were with their boys until they were weaned, which at the time was probably in the culture was about five years old. So in those five years, those women so influenced those men that they were used by God in mighty ways. In fact, Samuel, as a boy, heard God's voice and God spoke to him and not to Eli, the priest. So, and Moses met with God. I mean, both men. And so to not discount those early five years, those matter. Those two men were not in places where they were necessarily taught how to walk with God. And yet their five years with their moms mattered. So those two things encouraged me. Wow. That's, that's so great. Thank you so much for that. That's, um, that's such a gift. I took notes. I'm going to, um, certainly, certainly (laughs) pass those notes along to others. Um, if there's somebody listening right now who maybe is like me of an age, 55, um, we want to be in a mentoring relationship with a younger woman. Like, I mean, how do we go about helping them see us and us see them and actually like take that step, make that, make that connection. If you're a part of a church community, maybe you have interacted with someone, whether you are the mentor or the mentee, and you have seen something in them that you want um, to offer up that, or I think it's harder when you're the mentor to offer that to someone. Um, I think our church has done a great job of having what they call heart to heart ministries. And so women who want to be mentors can sign up and women who want to be mentored can sign up. But I always tell mentees to invite a woman to coffee one time, that this doesn't have to be a long-term forever relationship. You're going to my kid's graduation, all that thing, those things, but a one-time coffee and just see if it's a match and maybe make, you know, a monthly or a bi-monthly meeting where you get together. And um, I think it can be a small thing. It doesn't have to be a huge commitment and that makes it less intimidating. That's a great place to start. Um, and then I will just add to that. If somebody has ever asked you to mentor them and you didn't respond, <laughs> like it's never too late to circle back around. So I'll just yeah. confess that that has happened to me. I mean, just prior to COVID, a young woman asked me if I would mentor her and I I just completely didn't do it. Like totally 100% didn't do it. Dropped the ball, never followed up. I mean, I and so I saw her this past Sunday at worship and I'm like, hey, you know what? I I remember that you asked and I remember that I failed and I confess and I asked forgiveness. Are you still interested? Because if so, I I would like to get together. So we're getting together a week from Friday. Yay, so uh, maybe a week from today. Yeah. And so I just I just want to say to those of us out there who are of an age um, and if somebody has seen you and thought I'd like that person maybe to mentor me, like it's never too late to circle back around and say you're sorry that you didn't do it and do it now. So Heather, yeah. um, wow, what a great conversation. Thank you so much. Right Where You Belong um, is the book. Um, check it out and uh, and visit Heather online at don'tmomalone.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back.
All right, the Friday Farm Report. This one is not from my own farm, but from yours. I love it that listeners send in now their farm reports. I got a farm report from Lisa Woodrow. She and her husband have a farm in northeastern North Dakota up by the Canadian border. Little shout out to the Woodrows today. You might run into them at a farmer's market uh, near you where um, she might be sharing some rhubarb concoctions. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I, uh, I am excited about that prospect. So what's growing where you are? What are you planting? Plant the seed of God's word today in someone else's life and have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.